This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to the winner. It's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. We continue to be in busy season. David and Rebecca, I think you'll be able to talk about just how busy it's been as you sprint (laughs) from screening to screening in Los Angeles. Um, But even for those of us watching at home, there's just a bunch of awards and nominations and chatter going on in these last couple of weeks before the holiday break where, um, you know, everyone wants their film to be at the top of the pile for those screeners, which we'll definitely get back to. Um, We're recording a few hours after the Indie Spirit nominations were announced. We'll talk about those. We'll talk about the New York Film Critics Circle wins from last week, which we previewed. Um, The Academy Museum Gala happened on Sunday where there were no uh, awards handed out. uh, Technically, it was a lot of tributes. But still some interesting sense of buzz. And then um, the Golden Globes are the nominations are upon us. They'll be out next Monday. So we'll do a little bit of previewing of what we think are going to triumph there. So as promised, let's start with the Indie Spirit Awards. David, you and I kind of put our heads together to cover those awards this morning. And I think you really caught the through line very clearly from the start, which is that uh, May, December and Past Lives were two really big winners at the Gothams. And they're big again at the Spirit Awards. Maybe not a huge surprise, but really good news for them. Yeah, so these two movies have emerged, I think, as the clear consensus picks for indies that have met a kind of threshold of critical backing and passion, more importantly, that proves really important in the Oscar race, especially in a year where you have so many big movies sure to take up a lot of spots. So, you know, in the case of both of these movies, they're represented here in picture, director, their screenwriters are nominated. They have multiple acting nominations. And this is just a really consistent trend at this point. Um, And that coupled with having the backing of A24 Netflix is a pretty potent mix. So I think it's very good news for both of them. I didn't do the nominations count, but I would imagine that American Fiction and All of Us Strangers were also pretty close to the top in terms of most nominated films. They showed up in a lot of places. It seemed like a really good day for them as well. Yeah, I think All of Us Strangers really needed that. You know, I mm-hmm. think American Fiction is pretty well ensconced Oscar wise, but All of Us Strangers has been kind of a question mark. And so having Andrew Scott's name on lists and Andrew Hayes name on lists like that's um, good for that relatively small movies, you know, momentum. Yeah. And the other getting into director, I think, is especially crucial for that movie because for all of the strangers, American fiction not being in there. Yeah. You know, there's there's a nice spread of of nominations here where strangers isn't in screenplay. American fiction isn't in director. But I think for those filmmakers to be recognized uh, individually, in addition to getting into best feature. um, Yeah, it's just it's just a profile boost. And especially for a movie like that. Um, for Strangers, uh, which is, as Richard said, a bit of a question mark, a bit smaller. Um, 
all of its key figureheads are now in the mix on the board, as you say, um, and that matters. I mean, most crucially, all of us strangers getting finally getting awards nominations um, between Gotham's and and this is really good for my vulture. Um, <laughs> movie thing because mm-hmm. I was like I think ranked last probably out of thousands of people until this morning should have drafted eras that's been keeping me at the top of the little gold men rankings I haven't checked in a while though you guys might be catching up smart it was interesting to see Erica Alexander and Sterling K. Brown get in supporting performance mm-hmm. for American fiction I don't know I can't really remember how often we see sort of like a double nom in the acting categories with this one but you know, I, it's clear there's a ton of support for that film. Well, Eileen also had double nominations in mm-hmm. that supporting yeah. category, um, which is fascinating because that's not something that was on our radar nearly as much. I took my husband to see Eileen over the weekend, and he his immediate reaction was, so that actress in the basement is winning an Oscar, right? And that's Marin <laughs> Ireland. Well, and I was like, in a perfect world, maybe. <laughs> From his mouth to God's ears, one hopes. <laughs> yeah. She is astonishing in that movie and i'm so thrilled to see her here uh in addition anne hathaway i mean that's that to me is a great double bill uh, along mm-hmm. with american fictions I, I have no complaints there yeah i don't love the movie eileen but those two performances are really great and Marin ireland also was in birth rebirth which was a sundance mm-hmm. horror movie that judy reyes her co-star is nominated at the spirits for so even though ireland is nominated for eileen um it feels like it's also maybe a little bit for Birth Rebirth because that movie got nominated in several categories. Also super cool to see Teo Yu get a, a lead mm-hmm. performance nom for Past Lives. I mean, obviously Greta Lee deserves so much praise for her performance, but I think, you know, that movie really works because Teo Yu and John Magaro are such, uh, they play so well opposite her in the film as well. So that was nice to see his name. Yeah, it's funny. There's like two movies that are really led by a central trio and one of them got left out. You've got Greta Lee and Teo Yu and Past Lives, but not John Magaro. And then Dave I Joined Randolph is nominated supporting. Dominic Sessa gets nominated in Breakthrough for The Holdovers. But where's Paul Giamatti? I'm so mad about this. Maybe <laughs> yeah. irrationally so. Like, I don't like that trend. And I also don't like it for Julianne Moore in May, December. Another third leg of the trio right. that is getting yeah. shut out. Yeah. And um, both of those performances are two of the performances of the year. And yet yeah. they're, they're getting I don't want that to be precedent. I hope it's not. Yeah. Well, and Paul Giamatti has this like nasty track record. Not nasty. That's overstating it. But like he famously got snubbed for Sideways. And like I'm I'm getting nervous. I really need the Giamatti hype train to, to step up with me here. I mean, his one Oscar nomination being for supporting for Cinderella Man is itself kind of a snub in a weird way. <laughs> like it's just like. Yeah, we, we have to fix this. <laughs> a movie no one remembers. Like, um <laughs> I just did a panel with them yesterday, so Paul Giamatti is on my mind because he loves to praise other people, but will take no credit for his own. No, like you, Paul. And I'm, oh. I know. I'm like, I was pretty insistent on the panel. I was like, well, he's like, it's the script. I was like, it's not just the script, Paul. <laughs> so I think he needs, to, he needs, uh, and Davine is a great hype woman for him on a panel, but. I worry that because he's so humble, people aren't realizing how much work goes into a performance like that. He is someone you take for granted. And yeah. that was, you know, I, it took two watches of the movie for me to be like, he should absolutely be nominated. Like, it would be a crime if he's not included in that Oscar five. Yeah. Um, because he is so reliable and has been good for so long and is kind of a character actor in the sense that... Uh, you know a Giamatti performance. He's not somebody who's going to completely, you know, maybe he'll turn blue in a movie, um, but he's not going to completely transform himself. 
so it's easy to assume that it's it's easy or it's it's worth recognizing other people but this is one of his best performances and he's he's a treasure uh, he's a definitive lead whereas i wonder if maybe julianne moore is falling into the trap of is it lead is it supporting i don't know how she's being campaigned maybe we already have an answer to that that i'm not aware of but like supporting um, it's supporting. Okay. So like, let's, okay. Now that we, everyone knows that they should go forward with that knowledge. And, and... By everyone, we mean Richard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is, a fu- I mean, it it's kind of funny to make that a supporting performance, right? Like the whole point of that movie yeah. is that it's three, like really equal weight characters bashing up against each other. Well, right. And like Melton is obviously already winning awards and supporting um and yet is the heart of that movie and sort of the movie turns its gaze towards him at the end and it's like this movie has been about him you know um but it still counts as supporting Mm -hmm. because this is the stuff we've set up for ourselves i just realized there's yet another trio movie that's in here and this one maybe the most literal trio is passages um Mm -hmm. where you've got um ben wishaw gets recognized for supporting which i'm thrilled to see he's so good in passages um and then franz rogowski following up his new york film critic circle win we'll talk about that in a minute um in lead i think adele exotropolis is not as big a part of that movie as say charles melton in may december so it's maybe more okay but still i you know there's three important people in that story yeah, I mean, I'm just really thrilled to see that movie has stuck around. I think I've been reporting on it for a full year now. <laughs> <laughs> I won't stop as long as this stuff keeps happening. Um, but it's one of the best movies of the year. It's It has a smaller distributor and movie, and it had a summer release. It premiered at Sundance. And it's a much franker, uh, less sentimental movie than the typical Sundance contender, like, say, A Past Lives, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. So not a criticism at all. But, you know, I'm not expecting Passages to go on to Oscar nominations necessarily. But this is a worthy representation of the fact that it was a really significant movie um, that isn't going to be a part of that conversation, ultimately, most likely, but still deserves to be recognized for what it's accomplished. Uh, I'd love to talk about some of the other smaller titles that popped up in here um, that maybe also we don't expect to have Oscar nominations. Um, I thought Best Editing for How to Blow Up a Pipeline was a really great call. It's a really fascinating movie. Um, I also want to shout out Tiana Taylor of 1001. She was on this podcast months and months and months ago when that came out. And I'm really glad that she's not being uh, overlooked as more movies have come out. Yeah, I mean, I think Tiana Taylor is somebody who... I know Focus really wants to keep in that conversation. And and one sort of power of spirit nominations is these kind of isolated potential contenders who aren't a part of movies that are going to be like getting, say, like a May-December or a Past Lives that are really across the board contenders. Um, it keeps them in the conversation. And the Spirits last year nominated Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, who went on to a very surprise Oscar nomination. So it's worth paying attention to those. And and I think Tayana is one of them. I think uh, Glenn Howerton is one of them for Blackberry. I think mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway is one of them for Eileen. You know, the movie did uh, decently in specialty release. It got pretty good reviews. And she is uh, doing the most Anne Hathaway performance of her career, which should not be underestimated. Uh, Trace Lissette. I feel like you should shout out David. Trace Lissette. On this podcast yes, that, as well. There's so many things that are very exciting here. But yeah, she... Um, Really deserved to be in that 10. I was really happy to see that for lead performance. It also got in for cinematography. Monica did? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, good choices in here. I thought it was funny to see Marshawn Lynch nominated for Breakthrough Performance for Bottoms. Um, 
I'm told he's、oh. a football player. <laughs> football? Football? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> I think he is a form of football. I had to look that up that he is not currently playing football. He is, in fact, retired.、Uh, so now he can focus on acting. But is he the first football player to ever be nominated for an Indie Spirit Award? We have to look that up. Or did to Tom Brady sneak in there at some point for、uh, 84 Brady and we missed it? <laughs> I think Joe、probably. Montana was in the crying game. <laughs> <laughs> look at how many other football players can you name, Richard? I feel like I'm going like, to set a timer now. Dan Marino, Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dan Marino, probably Indie Spirit nominated for Ace Ventura, if you think about it. Before we move on from the indie spirits, we should clarify unlike the Gothams, which historically have focused on indies but changed their submissions so anyone could get in, that's how you get Ryan Gosling nominated for Barbie. The indie spirits do have a pretty strong、uh, budget cap. It's not always easy to figure out what is eligible.、Uh, David, really, you really tried <laughs> ahead of time to get people to confirm what was eligible and what wasn't.、Um, but, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon was not snubbed. Maestro was not snubbed. There's like, a, you know, Oppenheimer, obviously, a bunch of movies that weren't eligible.、Um, mm-hmm. But, David, is there anything that should have been? Here that isn't? Yeah, I think A24 had a few hopes here that didn't make any noise.、Uh, Iron Claw was not finished in time, I believe, so it wasn't submitted. But Dream Scenario, I'm sure、uh, they were hoping to see Nicolas Cage get into lead performance.、Uh, and Priscilla for Kaylee Spaney、yeah. and, and Sofia Coppola.、Um, obviously, a movie that has had really good box office momentum. It's one of the biggest specialty hits of the year. Uh, Kaylee Spaney was nominated for the Gotham. She won at Venice. So,、um, probably pretty disappointing for that campaign to come up completely empty here. And, and I think, honestly, I could see her popping up at the Globes, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit.、Um, but I think that's a, a pretty notable sign in terms of its Oscar ambitions. Yeah. Well, when I mentioned Franz Rogowski and Passages earlier, I said we'd go back to the New York Film Critics Circle Awards, which were voted on late last week.、Uh, we previewed them a little bit on last week's episode. Richard, you were there in the room.、Um, I don't think you're going to gossip too much about everyone's choices as much as we'd like you to.、Um, but how do, you just, how do you feel about the awards in general, having watched them play out? I mean, I know it's hell for our planning committee for our, our awards dinner、uh, next month,、um, but I'm very glad that the wealth was spread, that we have a lot of、mm. different studios, distributors, titles represented. It just means that they all get a table. And so it's just kind of a space I- issue. But,、um, but no, I was really happy with that. I was really happy about Rogowski. I mean, I think, you know, without sort of being self flattering, I-, I think that people look to the New York Film Critics Circle for. Every year, at least having one or two、uh, surprise, unexpected, you know, outside the box kind of nominees. And I think Rogowski、uh, was a good one there. And then, of course, the Spirit Awards had to come and steal our lunch. But、um, <laughs> you did it no, first. Yeah, we did. We did. And then we also had, you know, bigger mainstream things like no- Christopher Nolan getting、um, director for Oppenheimer and, and Flower Moon being, you know, best picture.、Um, so I think it was a good spread of like smaller things, bigger things. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy and、uh, really excited to.、Uh, I, well, I just hope that Rogowski comes to the dinner in, a, in some sort of crop top. I mean, I just, <laughs> the energy of being in a room with him with like a bunch of people like susceptible to his aura, like things could happen, Richard. You need to be prepared for him to like walk off with three or four people under his spell. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I have to remember it's Rogowski. I keep saying it wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to practice that between now and the dinner. Like Davine, Davine Joy Randolph, right? Yeah. It's not Davine.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Davine.、Um, the 
win for Lily Gladstone and for Charles Melton at New York Film Critics Circle just a couple days after the Gothams really had this like freight train momentum feel to it, even though, again, we're talking about very small groups of people all in New York voting on these things. Um, but for, you know, for those of us who weren't in the room voting, it like it didn't necessarily make me think both of them are going to run away to Oscars. But like it's really happening for both of them after these wins, I think. Yeah, I was at a um, a, a, a tribute award thing for Todd Haynes last night at the Museum of the Moving Image in in Queens, and you know it was a really lovely evening and lots of nice things said about Haynes. But I was talking to people at the cocktail receptions before and after the award ceremony, and everyone, when talking about this movie, went right to Melton. And I think if that's at all a sample of like who's voting for the Academy, this was like older industry people, you know, I think maybe they're not themselves in the Academy, but like peers like them are. Um, I think Melton especially has momentum. I, I mean, Gladstone for me already feels like that's a nomination that's happening um, and maybe a win too. But um, yeah, Melton is interesting because yeah. I for months I had th- thought like that'll be a fun critics kind of win. Um, but, you know, May, December's too weird, too queer, too whatever. Um, but I don't know. Now it's like, if anything else, if or if nothing else, rather, Melton, I think, is is probably going to get in there. Yeah, I, I guess one way of thinking about it is, for Lily Gladstone, that momentum you're talking about, Katie, is for the win. And there yeah. is something really happening there. And for Charles, it, it is the nomination. Like, a win for him in that category would be pretty unprecedented when it comes to the Oscars for a few reasons. I would say never say never. He's outstanding Please in the movie. tell us those reasons, though, because I'm, I'm curious. Well, it's the sort of slap the stud rule, right? I mean... <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Explain your terms. <laughs> okay. Well, not literally. Actually, you know what? Saying, saying slap in relation to the Oscars right now is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not allowed. Yeah. I would say it's a category that largely leans toward veterans, longtime character actors, past nominees. People like Ki Kwan um, and Troy Kotzer, the last two winners, are, are these, you know, were these kind of industry journeymen who had finally gotten a role worthy of their talents uh, after working in the industry for a really long time. Or if you look at people like, you know, Brad Pitt or Sam Rockwell or, you know, people who have just been in this industry for a long time. There are obviously exceptions, but I think in the case of a movie like May, December, and an actor like Charles Milton, who is such an introduction, and whose performance is, I mean, I think it's really an achievement and, and pretty extraordinary. Um, but it's not, you know, Daniel Kaluuya doing Fred Hampton, for instance. There is, it's a subtler performance. It's not a, you know, historical character. And those are all barriers. And so when you put them together, I think it would be quite something if he beat, like, Ryan Gosling for Barbie and Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Like, there are ca- people in this race this year who check all of those boxes. And that just makes it that much tougher. That's a really helpful explanation. I I, I think I compared him to Cody Smith-McPhee a couple weeks ago. And that it, I keep thinking of that again. Like, someone who's, like, young and up and coming and really... Uh, kind of seals the movie that he's in in the end. Um, but of course, he lost to Troy Kotzer in the end for all those narrative reasons you were talking about. That's um, actually, yeah, I think it's a great comparison. But he got a lot of critics' prizes in the meantime and a huge boost. So mm-hmm. it worked out. I mean, I feel like with uh, Dave Vine, Joy Randolph's win here at New York Film Critics Circle, she just feels like the front runner. I know nobody running any of these races wants the word front runner already in front of their person's hmm. t- uh, name. But it feels like um, she just has a, real, a lot going for her. So, you know, I'm curious to watch what happens next, but I feel like she might not miss, you know, and all these sort of precursors and 
Um, that's a really good sign for her. She's also great in a room. Like she really can do a, a panel. Um, she's very dynamic in front of a crowd. So she definitely has a lot going for her. And I think it is such an incredible performance. I know we were talking about people singing on the campaign trail last week and The Holdovers is not technically a musical, but uh, having seen her sing uh, a handful of times with just clips, like just find a way for her to do that. And then I think that will really seal the win. I mean, it's a holiday film. Just whenever they throw their holiday party. Just yeah, just, <laughs> Christmas Carol performance. Sing some I'm Christmas there. songs. Yeah. Between her and Danielle Brooks, though, it could be like a sing, mm. ca- a sing campaign off. <laughs> Di- Diane Warren could write a song called like Hold Me Over. <laughs> yes. Well, she's in the race for her flaming Hot song, which, like, you know, when we dive into the original song category, don't count it out. No. I think she has two songs, but that is the one getting the, the push. She's the hardest working woman in show business. Of course, she has two songs. <laughs> and, of course, she will be nominated, Katie. Don't forget. <laughs> she absolutely will be, of course. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Well, speaking of people being good in the room, a lot of them got to be in the room at the Academy Museum Gala. None of us, of course. It's a it's weird. It's a big event at the Academy Museum, but press coverage is very strict about it. Um, we had a report on it, um, but not a lot of other people did. It wasn't like a chance for everyone to talk to the press. Um, but a lot of people were there and a lot of people who, you know, you knew were being honored, like Oprah Winfrey and Meryl Streep, who had an award presented by Greta Gerwig, of course. Um, but then you just go down the list of people who are really obvious contenders like Greta Lee and then people who are not obvious contenders like Glenn Howerton, now an Indie Spirit Award nominee. Um, It just really was a like, come see and be seen. If you want a nomination, you got to show up. Um, Did anyone else stand out to you guys from that list? I I think, again, as we've been talking about with Lily Gladstone, just like the images of her with Leonardo DiCaprio, it's it's really powerful. It just there's a sort of anointing going on here Mm -hmm. Uh, and seeing her in that environment surrounded by you know, A-listers, industry icons, a place where Meryl Streep is getting honored. Um, It is significant. It all adds to this mystique around that film and that particular performance um, that is propelling her narrative. So that that stuck out to me. Um, I I haven't done the exact count, but it seems like possibly the entire cast of The Color Purple was there, um, which is another interesting contender we're watching roll out over the coming weeks. The review embargo on that has still not lifted. It's kind of even a little bit more mysterious than The Iron Claw. And we've talked a lot about how audiences are responding to it. Um, but I think if you, you know, you get Trashy P. Henson in a room or Corey Hawkins or Daniel Brooks, like 
those people are all really charismatic, as we know from experience. So laying the groundwork now feels really wise on their part. Yeah, I mean, there there was one image of Daniel Brooks standing next to Oprah, who was smartly <laughs> wearing like purple um, to subtly promote her movie, and uh, that's sort of what David is talking about. This, uh, you know, support by proxy, I think, is really mm-hmm. helpful. And I feel like I saw a lot of pictures also of Coleman Domingo like hugging Meryl Streep, yes, being with Ava, like he really you know, knows so much of this community and and I think works a room like that really well. So, uh, you know, both for Rustin and Color Purple, he he seemed very present at that event. Yeah, I was there last year and I saw him with, you know, doing the exact same thing, even though he did not have uh, as, as big of a contender in the race. So, yeah. It, it, and it, it also indicates that this is someone who is, you know, really well-known and liked in the community because if there's one thing to know about the Academy Gala, it is that it is a huge... Hollywood party. (laughs) And a lot of Academy members are there. Yeah, I sometimes think it's really uh, easy for us to overstate like, well, they've been working forever and they know everybody and that means they're going to get a nomination. Um, But then I think you see see things like J.K. Simmons winning for Whiplash or maybe Coleman Domingo, where it's like, no, that that laying the groundwork really does make a difference. Like, it's not just that you've worked with everybody, but you're friendly with them. You are kind to them. You like have earned a good reputation. It, It smooths the path to a first nomination in a way that's invisible to the outside, but can be really important. The other notable thing about the Academy Gala is just the fact of it brings everybody into town. And so there were a ton of events. I mean, there are every weekend at this rate in L.A., but I would say even by the standards of December post-actor strike, it was pretty crazy. I was at several events. I moderated a couple. um, And there was also a Barbie party that was just completely insane in West Hollywood and overcrowded, (laughs) um, where you had Margot Robbie, America Ferreira, Mark Ronson, Rodrigo Prieto, et cetera, et cetera. And it's definitely a movie that was moving like, like you were saying earlier about like Lily and Charles, Katie, like a freight train, like, oh, this is a kind of a huge awards earthquake that we haven't felt as much yet because it's not as much of a critics movie. And it's um, not and eligible it's, for these, you know, <laughs> for the indie spirits. Not a, yeah, it is certainly not an independent movie, but it is a movie. It is the cultural phenomenon of the year. And that that's going to count when, when it matters. And I, I, I kind that kind of clicked for me at the party it was like, Oh, this is, this is the story of this year in many ways. And it can be easy to forget that when we're talking about killers winning New York film critics or seeing past lives in May, December, um, which are number of our favorite movies, um, you know, taking these independent honors. But Barbie is Barbie, and certainly a lot of people are showing up for Barbie. Well, and the Academy Museum Gala was supposed to be in October. It got pushed back um, with mm-hmm. the start of the Gaza conflict, and then also the actor strike was still going on. Um, so this crowdedness in December is not necessarily built into the system. And, you know, I think we've all heard things about how this, you know, excitement and everything going on has everyone, um, you know, energetic, but also it's hard to find room for everybody. So I, I'm yeah. thinking even though it's been fun, like there's going to have to be some scaling back next year and some spreading over the calendar. I don't, I don't want to name names, but... You know, I was at, I moderated, I think, four uh, over the weekend, and there were a number of other events that I'd heard about, and, and there is a real divide in terms of audience from event to event. And I'd heard of some campaigns and filmmakers being frustrated just that people aren't showing up, say, to an official Ampest screening, even the way they would have last year and in this kind of numbers they would have last year. And I, I think that's absolutely a consequence of what you're talking about, Katie, which is a clear um, 
inability of, you know, industry members, voters, people who like to go to these things to just make room on their calendar to go to everything. And then you from there, you can maybe scrutinize what they are prioritizing and what they're not uh, prioritizing. So it's it's something I've taken into account. Um, but I also just I think it's a reality of a year that is is very difficult for everyone to get their moment in, especially movies that haven't come out yet and that are just kind of dealing with Barbie acting like it just came out because the <laughs> actors can get out there. <laughs> it's interesting because we haven't even talked about the fact that there are TV screening events happening at the same time for these guilds. So if you're a member mm-hmm. of SAG or something, you're being invited to dozens of of screenings at this time. And I, I, I haven't uh, moderated any TV ones yet, but I am curious, like if people, if those are having a harder time getting booked because those shows have been out for a long time, ta- longer time for most of them. And uh, yeah, there, it feels like voters are having to make choices. The, the things I've moderated have been quite packed, but I do think you're seeing a lot of people have to sort of pick and choose because there's just so much right now. Richard, does it feel like this chaotic in New York? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a lot getting scheduled and, you know, my Q&A slate is pretty <laughs> pretty full. Um, but I've been talking to some people in the industry, some of whom are Academy members just at random events, and like maybe getting a dim, dim picture of what could be falling through the cracks. And I think the, the, the title I keep hearing about like, oh, I, I really want to see that. I'll get to it. But also it's so heavy. When do I want to see it? You know, I mean, should I just watch it on screener is zone of interest. And um, because mm-hmm. that's a really hard one to make time for because it's so heavy. I think it will play not nearly as well at a home viewing situation. Like, because of technically what it's doing, there are long periods of just like a blank screen and just sound, you know. Um, so I worry about that movie suffering, uh, you know, perhaps most acutely from this, uh, you know, log jam situation that everyone is in. That is the dominant theme right now is, is are enough people going to see this movie? I definitely heard that about Zone of Interest. Um, but it's, you know, movies ranging from color purple to all of us strangers. Like I've, I've, it's, it's a consistent worry pretty much across the board, I think. But then you have a movie like Barbie where it doesn't have to be one. Yeah. Cause of, you know, you throw a big party for a movie that's been out months earlier and like you may or may not get interest, but you get invited to a Barbie party and you're like, oh, it'll have like a uh, choreography and it'll be at a Barbie house. Like, sounds great. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't really, but, uh, you can always live in hope in RSVP yes to that party. Uh, before we get to predicting the Golden Globe nominees, where many of these titles, I think, will be in the mix, um, I did want to talk about Leave the World Behind, which is out on Netflix this weekend. We talked about the book and book club earlier this year. I still haven't gotten to see the movie, but all of the rest of you did. And it seems like a pretty interesting adaptation of a book that I didn't necessarily think I wanted to see adapted. Richard, what did you think? Yeah, it's it's different from the book in some really big ways, but also I think that what Sam Esmel did in that adaptation is really interesting. It makes everything a little bit more overt. It kind of clearly defines what's happening in a way that the book doesn't. Um, But I think it works. It's a very, I I like stuff, maybe I'm a a masochist, but I like stuff that's just like telling us that we're completely fucked. (laughs) You know, like it feels kind of cathartic to be like, yep, you know what, that's true. And that that's what this movie does, but also in a sort of playful way that I found interesting. Uh, It's both dreadful and funny, and yeah, I was I was way more into it than I thought I was going to be. Yeah, I felt I, I felt like the additions that they made to the script from the story were really smart, made it feel very, very current. Um, 
I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a scene that involves cars that I thought was really, oh really genius. Um, well, I guess like, I saw a tweet about that already, yeah, but I won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, that I found really um, a smart way to talk about something we see in Los Angeles all the time. So um, <laughs> I, I think, it, yeah, I, the changes they made I really liked, which I don't always say about um, an adaptation. And, uh, you know, I thought there were some strong performances as well. So I think it's going to, I would guess it's going to do well on Netflix. It feels like the kind of movie that people will want to, you know, sit down at home and watch and it'll pull them in. It's a really good winter Netflix release that does not have to be an awards contender. Um, it's a good model for how to do that because Sam Esmail is a really thoughtful deliberate filmmaker who makes it takes some big swings some sequences in this movie are so unnerving and effective um and i don't love every choice he makes with the book um particularly the ending but i think overall yeah it's it's really just involving and and smartly done and and again considered it's it's such a great book that i was really glad to see he did it justice as you guys are talking about how people need to see the zone of interest, just knowing that this movie is also out there to cause more dread, a different kind of dread, but still like, ooh, I don't know. I might have to pick which dread-inducing movie I could pick at the beginning of December. <laughs> one has Julia Roberts and yeah. one is in German, <laughs> for starters. And I'm, I'm only saying that in terms of the likely audience for the two movies. Yeah. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz, um, who should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mao. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So let's close this out looking ahead to the Golden Globes. Honestly, I have a simple question to start with. Is this just going to be Barbie and comedy, Oppenheimer and drama, and they're going to dominate the entire thing? Probably. <laughs> I mean, I think poor things in, in comedy is definitely a force. And, and they do love Martin Scorsese. He won for Hugo, we, lest we forget. Wow, so I did Killers forget. of the Flower Moon is, is probably in there. I mean, it's a very different group, too, I think. I think There's that's so many the questions. big question, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, it used to be 75 people and we were probably pretty good at guessing what they were going to do. And now it's 300 people and allegedly much more diverse than it used to be. So maybe there's going to be some interesting choices or choices that make a lot more sense than it used to. So, I, yeah, it's a little harder to predict, I think. I think this will be the year that sort of shows us what this voter body has become. 
they have very good incentive not to, you know, let their freak flag fly, right? Like they're still kind of in a rebuilding <laughs> period. They're not there's not going to be any tourist style head scratcher nominations. Maybe good head scratcher nominations. Like maybe you get Are You There God? It's Me Margaret or Blackberry or something popping in there. But it's I, I would imagine them towing the line pretty closely. The movies that feel globesy to me and that could use the boost are, you know, movies like Saltburn, Mm -hmm. movies that are really in your face. Uh, Wonka. I feel like they must be so thrilled that they have permission to vote for it after good reviews. (laughs) After Richard Lawson's scrummed it away, I'm just raving. They don't don't have to worry about a tourist-like backlash or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, those those movies that are broader and maybe not as Oscar bound, but they do have a role to play in terms of giving them a kind of platform. Um, and then I mentioned Kaylee Spaney earlier. I, I think she's a good example of an a-, a young breakout actress in a movie with a lot of globesy appeal, which is to say icons being portrayed. And that could be a nice boost for her campaign. And I think she could get in because they are expanding the categories to six nominees now. So it's not going to be as informative necessarily of like if someone misses out um, because there's just less people who will be missing out. Cost me them and the Critics' Choice Awards, which just have like any number of nominees per category. There's no narrowing down whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have like 12 lead actresses and 12 lead actors (laughs) nominated here between comedy and drama. (laughs) So this really is Nicolas Cage's last stand, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I was going to throw out also that the color purple seems like something that could really come rushing through on this. It's going to be in the comedy musical category. You've got a lot of actors in there. You could definitely see that and Barbie really filling up a lot of the acting categories. Although comedy is really stacked. There's a lot of really good contenders in there. I also wonder if something like Air gets a nice boost here. You know, that film has kind of fallen off the, the train here. But I do wonder if... You know, this Ben Affleck movie? Well, I don't know. I'm also still thinking like old HFPA uh, Uh voting style. So it's hard to turn that off. But, you know, I do wonder if a film like that could get a a boost here as a comedy. Bradley Cooper and Ben Affleck in the directing category would be something. (laughs) Do it. My show must be competing as a drama, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not discounting. But director is uh, Mm -hmm. directors one one catch all. You would think they would also expand those categories, right? Like do some best supporting actor in a comedy, best supporting actress in a comedy. It's a They it, did it for TV, right? Did they? I think that they did. I mean Or maybe it's comedy or drama and limited series. Like go go do whatever you want, Golden Globes. Like if you add a bunch of awards for actors, I'm not gonna complain. But don't forget that they have two new categories this year. They have best stand-up comedian um on TV and also what we've been calling the blockbuster category, but it's called cinematic and box office achievement in motion pictures. So does Barbie, do Barbie and Oppenheimer go there too? I, I don't know what the... Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's like they get another award uh, to list, but that is going to be interesting, especially this year when those films are actually already really competitive in other yeah, categories. The one, the one year you did not have to yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Super Mario movie going to get a Golden Globe nomination, I'm assuming. So congratulations to them. I'm going to be rooting for the Ninja Turtles movie in that category. That's my personal <laughs> pick. Richard, what are you hoping for from the Golden Globes? Wonka sweep, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. in, in drama as well as comedy. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm Wonka should be Mr. Golden Globe. <laughs> if they're still doing that. <laughs> Sorry, did we talk about is May December going comedy? 
Sorry if I might have missed yes. that. It is going mm-hmm. it is it going is. comedy. Okay. Yeah, that that'll be good for that. I think that, you know, that movie is getting a lot of attention uh, right now, but I still worry about its Oscar chances, so uh hopefully Globes will help that along. Um but yeah, I I I would I kind of would love a touristy style stuff to happen to let's bring back the Golden Globes of of you know, at least in that way. What is the tourist of like this year though? The boys in the boat. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. That's a good one. That I wouldn't ouch count that out. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of bad movies out there, so take your pick. (laughs) Not to be too not that you'll name them, but just uh, know that that I'll not that I'll name them, but um, I I could see them doing a few different things in that regard. Um, just to to go back to what I was saying about comedy or musical being kind of unusually good this year, I feel like those are usually the categories where you're getting an acting nomination where you're like, okay, fine, I guess you had to fill the space. But like, even in like best actor in a comedy or musical, often a weak category, like you get, you'll make room for people like Jamie Foxx in The Burial, which is a great mm-hmm. performance, or Timothy Chalamet in Wonka, as we were saying. Um, there's, there's a depth in the field here. It's, you know, I, I guess it's the coming out of the pandemic and all this other stuff, but. Um, I'm grateful for the Globes and for them expanding their categories for this year in particular. And we'll, we'll see how it pans out in future years, I guess. Yeah. I'm looking at like best comedy, like you were saying, Katie. And if they nominated Poor Things, Barbie, Holdovers, Color Purple, American Fiction, and May, December. Great. Like that could be like the majority of the Oscars best picture lineup and they're all categories as comedies. So that's pretty unusual, actually. And that's leaving out Asteroid City or Air or, like, mm-hmm. Dumb Money, a movie I liked a lot. Like, there's a lot of Wonka. really... Uh, Wonka. <laughs> sweeping. We've established this. Right. So I had I have to replace May, December with Wonka, of course. <laughs> <laughs> They're so similar. It's really easy to confuse one for the other. Indeed. That does it for this week's show. Find us at Vanity Fair, on social media at VF Awards Insider. You can find me around the internet at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for what every awards hopeful hopes that Francis Fisher Awards Fengali of the Modern Age is saying right now goes to David Canfield. That actress in the basement is winning an Oscar, right? I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.